Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. <laughs> Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another NFL episode of the Action Network Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. Today, with week three of the preseason in the rear view, we are breaking down our final fantasy rankings, barring any big injuries, of course, for the 2019 season-long drafts. You, of course, can find our updated projections and rankings at the Fantasy Football Draft Kit at the Action Network. A quick note on our podcasting schedule for the season. On Monday, Stucky and Colin Wilson will review the action from the weekend and preview our Monday night football content. On Wednesday, Sean Corner, Chris Rabon, and I, usually with the guests, will break down the fantasy slate from a season-long and DFS perspective with an appearance from Peter Jennings. On Thursday, Stucky and Rayvon will do a betting preview for the slate. And then on Friday, Colin and Stucky will do their college football betting preview. It is going to be a fantastic season. Here with me for this episode is Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. Sean is our director of predictive analytics and one of the top in-season fantasy football rankers for the past half decade. And Chris is a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of the Action Network show on Sirius XM Fantasy Radio. And joining us, this is really exciting, joining us to talk about his fantasy football rankings and the players he's drafting and staying away from is Brad Evans, a legendary football writer for Yahoo Sports, a fantasy sports writers association Hall of Famer, and a guy very much obsessed with huevos. Brad, what's going on? Thanks for joining us. Legendary. Wow. That is uh, quite the honor you have bestowed upon me. I don't think anybody has said that. Usually they say lame instead of legendary. That applies to me. But I appreciate you guys having me on the show uh, just to you know, kind of get some things out of the way. You can also check out my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you download and listen to your podcast called The Fantasy Record. And I also have a nationally syndicated television show talking about fantasy football called the Fantasy Football Hour, which airs on regional sports networks weekly. So check your local listings for channel and time. Again, though, thanks for having me. Yeah, Brad, see, this is what I'm talking about. Legendary. You've, you've got your stuff. You're, uh, you're very much doing everything at this time of the year. Uh, and that's why we're having you on the show, because you are very plugged in. We have a couple of news items from this past weekend. Obviously, Andrew Luck's retirement. Lamar Miller's injury. We will talk about that before, though. Uh, I want to get some insight into your ranking process because it is that time of year. Everyone is looking at fantasy football rankings. Um, what are the stats that you prioritize? Uh, give me the lowdown on the way that you approach the ranking process. Well, yeah, I mean, I take everything on a case-by-case basis. Um, you know, I'm somebody that is steeped in advanced analytics, uh, but, you know, not the be-all, end-all. I'm also somebody that crunches a lot of tape, uh, to analyze these guys and, and use the numbers as context to what you're seeing visually. Uh, you have to you know, look at all the variables at play on a, in a given in, given out situation based on offensive line performance, quarterback performance, title wide receiver, running back, the defense uh, projected schedule, though that can be a little bit up and down at times. So there's a lot that goes in to the process. And the one thing that I think is most important when you are ranking is learning and adjusting on the fly, as we saw over the weekend. Right, everybody on their phones uh, on Saturday when the luck news broke. I was driving back from the airport, 
And I walked in and then banged out 400 quick words on the shocking development with Andrew Luck. And, of course, that night, too, Lamar Miller getting injured, done for the season with an ACL. You know, those things necessitated major changes in rankings across the board, but even subtleties that are out there, like uh, the news today that Kenyon Drake has already returned to practice for the Miami Dolphins. All this Kalen Balage hype, which I feel is nonsense, maybe quelled a little bit with Drake now back in action. It looks like he's got to be ready week one uh, when the Dolphins take the field. So, it, you know, it's, it is a, a culmination of a variety of angles and takes and perspectives. They kind of throw into the stew, mix it up, let it simmer for a couple hours, and hopefully it tastes good in the end. All right, for your fantasy drafts, uh, do you have strategies that you tend to follow? For instance, some people are very dogmatic about uh, zero RB or when they're taking wide receivers or late-round quarterback. Uh, strategies that you tend to employ? Uh, I employ the zero strategy strategy, which in and of itself may be a strategy, which is I don't go in saying, I got to get a quarterback here. I got to get a running back here. I got to go wide receiver at this point. Um, I just let the values fall. And we all have our pet players. I always get my guys. Uh, that's something that, you know, Chris, you always harp on constantly. And I completely adhere to that ideology. You know, we've got our pet players. We got guys that, we, you know, we crunch the numbers, we crunch the tape. Uh, and the printout says, get him because he's going to have a massive year. And you hope you don't jinx him in the process. But for me, it's, I'm, I'm just never somebody that follows a specific strategy I'm very much a value-based drafter, and I just kind of measure the room, watch the room, and then adjust as things transpire. I think that is the best approach anybody can take when they go into a fantasy draft. And I, I like zero RB, I think, is always nuts, and even more so this year as we've seen in years past. All right, let's get into the news. Uh, as you mentioned, Andrew Luck, the retirement. Uh, this was something entirely unexpected. What has this done to your rankings, specifically thinking about T.Y. Hilton, uh, Eric Ebron, and then also the running backs there, Marlon Mack, Naheem Hines? Well, for me, you know, I actually took a, a sensible measured approach. Uh, a lot of people in the fantasy industry immediately, harshly and severely downgraded all of the skilled players on offense for the Colts in light of the luck news. I think it's an entirely different situation what we saw in 2017 with Brissett. And a lot of people are going to point to those numbers and be like, this guy is a mediocre, vanilla, tofu bland quarterback. You don't want any people attached to it because he's got to drag him down. But you got to look at that overall environment in 2017. That offensive line was dreadful. You had a, a play caller and an, a coach overseeing, and Chuck Pagano had no idea what the hell he was doing. The entire staff was over their heads. That's why they moved on elsewhere. Now you got Frank Reich in the mix a guy that I feel is a very strong scoring architect who's got to take chances down the field. He's got a mask. He's got a scheme. He's got to play the strengths of Brissett. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, Brissett had a year off last year to absorb, to learn, you know, his shortcomings from the 2017 season in which he had a 6.5 YPA, 193.6 pass yards per game. Uh, but he was under duress that year, 40.1% of his dropbacks. Now he's got a top five offensive line. He's got a bolstered overall offense with Paris Campbell to mix, Devin Funches to go along with T.Y. Hill and Eric Ebron, Marlon Mack. I uh, was really, you know, growing his game after a breakthrough 2018. I like the setup. I like the situation. I think Brissett is going to take major strides this time around as a full-time starter. I did shift T.Y. Hilton down a little bit from uh, wide receiver 11 to wide receiver 17, but I still view him as, you know, a top-end wide receiver two. And if he falls to, like, the sixth round of your draft in a 12-teamer this weekend, 
pounce like a panther on it because I think he'll exceed those expectations. Eric Ebron, we all knew he was going to regress after the 14-touchdown season, but he's already caught a touchdown this preseason from Brissett. They're building up that chemistry. I think seven and eight, maybe nine touchdowns, doable for him. And a guy that now you may get in round 10 instead of round eight previously. And I think Marlon Mack, if there is a silver lining here, He's a guy that definitely stands to benefit because I think they're going to lean even more now on the ground, a guy that averaged 17.6 touches per game last year. He's a beast between the pipes. Again, running behind a bunch of mild movers. Uh, I think Mac uh, could see a lot of 20-touch games and volume, as we know, is king. And Mac could be the Mustafa of the second or third tier running back class and a guy you're probably going to get in round four now. So I didn't downgrade any of these guys uh, too harshly. I still think they're going to have sustainable value with Brissett under center. Uh, Chris, I, I want to kick it to you. Uh, Sean and I talked about uh, how we were approaching the Colts uh, in the luck, sorry, in the wake of uh, Andrew Luck's retirement on the the live show that we did. And by the way, that is still available on the site. People should check it out. Uh, I would like to get your thoughts on it. One more thing to kind of put uh, Brissett in context. Uh, his 2017 Brad, as you mentioned, was very suboptimal, but he had just joined the team. Uh, so that's one more thing to kind of keep in mind. Yeah. Uh, any quarterback just joining a team, uh, it would be very hard for him to learn the playbook, develop the chemistry with his wide receivers. So uh, something else to put that in context. Chris, how are you approaching Brissett and the rest of the Colts? Yeah, so I think the thing about Andrew Luck was I was pretty – I was lower than most on him during this whole offseason. I thought he was being a bit overrated – um, based on his performance, because mostly he was really good on third down in the red zone, things that are already likely to regress a little bit. Um, his YPA was 7.29, which was, you know, uh, you know, near the bottom of the league last year. So I think Brissett is going a little bit underrated. I don't think it affects their win total as much as people think. I think with Frank Reich, Andrew Luck still posted overall his best QBR, his best passer rating last season. So I think that you're going to see a whole different – Luck from uh, Brissett from 2017, as Brad mentioned. And yeah, T.Y. Hilton goes from wide receiver 14 to wide receiver 20 for me, but I don't think it's really much of a change other than that, you know, Andrew Luck was top two in pass attempts and Brissett was near the bottom of the league in 2017. I think that kind of evens out more toward the middle, but I, I am knocking the Colts overall pass attempts down. I know they wanted to get more run heavy anyway. So that goes up. I think I, I'm right on board with Marlon Mack. I have him right under 20 touches per game. Talked in my coaching tendencies article about how, you know, Mack was averaging 19.7 touches from about week 12 on when Naeem Hines really went in the tank and, and they stopped using him. Um, they just kind of soured on him. So I, Hines is kind of out, out of play for me. I'm not really looking at Hines at all. But uh, Hilton's round wide receiver 20. And then Mack is, is still a top 12 back for me. Uh, in standard leagues, uh, right on that top 15 fringe in, in PPR, half PPR. And I think Jack Doyle also kind of gets a bump for me. I know a lot of people are saying, well, hey, now this kind of knocks out the, the ancillary guys. But I think Ebron is still in play for me as a kind of a low-end T1. But let's remember that Jack Doyle caught 80 passes from Brissett in 2017. And that was despite a, a low volume overall passing year for the Colts. So I think Doyle back healthy, they're going to be a predominantly two tight end team. Paris Campbell has spent the whole offseason hurt. Uh, Devin Funches is new and Moncrief and Brissett didn't really connect as much. And Funches is going to play that Moncrief role. So you're going to see a lot of Doyle, a lot of Ebron, a lot of Hilton and a, a lot of Marlon Mack. And those are going to be the four guys uh, for me that I'm still drafting on the Colts and all of the other guys kind of really uh, fall off. 
All right, the other big news item from the weekend was the ACL and MCL tear suffered by Lamar Miller. Uh, So he is out for the season, and it seems as if Duke Johnson gets a pretty big bump in the rankings. Brad, how are you approaching this situation? Well, we're going to wait and see. I I think the Houston Texans are done making a move at running back. You know, everybody automatically assumes that Duke Johnson's going to be the main man, you know, a player that's going to see, you know, 15 to 20 touches per game. Uh, I think he's constructed to handle that load. He's never really been utilized in that capacity uh, during his days in Cleveland. I mean, he only saw right around, uh, you know, 30% of the opportunity share last year. But a guy that gets appreciable yards after initial contact and catch the ball very cleanly out of the backfield, that is his clear strength. And I think he's going to be leaned on heavily in the pass game because of the broken offensive line of the Texans. Uh, but it does hurt him in terms of what he brings on the ground. Uh, do the Texans go out and sign a JGI? Do they flirt with the notion of, you know, shaking the Melvin Gordon tree and seeing – and maybe, uh, you know, after poo-pooing the idea of trading for him, now it could sound like a good idea for both sides. Uh, do they wait and see, you know, who is available after the cuts are made? Maybe Carlos Hyde, who could get uh, kicked to the curb from the Kansas City Chiefs. I think a veteran is going to be brought in. I don't think uh, Crockett is necessarily the answer to some of the other young backs on this roster. Uh, but I'm looking at it as Duke Johnson's going to be a complimentary back maybe get 55, 60% at best of the opportunity share. So if I'm going to draft this week, am I going to extend the go-go gadget arm to acquire his services? No, I got him at RB27. I think he's a premium flex slash RB3, but I wouldn't go bananas over Duke in a draft and say, all right, this is a guy I got to get right now. He's going to be a top 20 running back. I'm just not seeing it given the situation and knowing more than likely the Texans are going to make another move. Sean, is that kind of in line with what your thoughts are with Duke Johnson? Yeah, exactly. So right now, I mean, I'm pretty conservative with his projections. I'm only projecting him for about 13 to 14 touches a game. So that, that is factoring sort of the risk of them bringing in a veteran. People do underestimate him. I think he could handle 15 plus touches. Uh, but like I said, this, this is going to just lend them to throw the ball a bit more. Brad touch on it. The offensive line um, is a bit of a disaster. So I think a good way to kind of extend the running game would be, you know, dump offs to Duke Johnson. And I've been saying that uh, this is a low key downgrade to Kiki QT, who benefited from that last year. And he's been dealing with another injury. So I've been downgrading Kiki QT and all this and sort of boosting um, the Texans passing game in general. All right, Chris, uh, any thoughts here on Duke Johnson? Yeah, I think he has major upside. I mean, Listen, I'm, I'm kind of in line with Sean where I have him at 10.5 carries, 3.5 catches a game. So that's 14 touches. And he still cracks. You know, he's right there at that running back 21 spot for me uh, in PPR leagues. And the, the thing about Duke is remember Lamar Miller when he came over from the Miami Dolphins. He wasn't really considered uh, necessarily like a, a, a you know, 20 touch back, a, a, a weed feature back. Um, he was kind of he wasn't really used that way in Miami. And he came to Houston in his first year, he was getting, you know, over 17 carries a game. He was getting a couple catches. And so he was pushed. He was knocking on that door. And I think the same thing is true for Duke Johnson in terms of his ceiling. I think his median projection is kind of in that 13 to 14 touch range. However, his ceiling projection is, hey, we don't trust any of these unproven guys like a Demaria Crockett, Karan Higdon, Buddy Howell, any of these guys. And our cap situation doesn't allow us to trade for a Melvin Gordon. You know, maybe they do pick up a Carlos Hyde or somebody like that. But right now, if you're drafting and, you know, Duke's median projection, I think still puts him in that top 24 and you're getting the upside of, Hey, maybe this guy is used like Lamar Miller um, that, that first year he was in Houston. So I love Duke, um, you know, in the, in the, in these drafts. And I think you're getting a lot of upside and you don't really have to 
to pay for that ceiling at this point. You're just paying for his medium projection, which is still being, I think, a little underrated. All right, let's start to get into uh, some talk of rankings a little bit. Brad, I want some thoughts on the top five guys in your rankings because I think lots of people right now are having this question of there's sort of this big top four, um, but everyone is uncertain about Zeke and whether at this point you take him at number four or is he replaced by David Johnson potentially at number four and Zeke falls to number five. So what are you doing with your rankings in the top five guys? Yeah, I mean, that is a $64,000 question. You know, Stephen Jones uh, mentioning, hey, we could get a deal done within hours, though. There's still a clear impasse as, uh, you know, Zeke is still partying on the beach. Uh, So we don't know if the deal is going to get done. My gut says, and I have no other inside information to go on, but my gut says that uh, Penn will be applied to paper sooner rather than later. So even if Zeke were to miss a game or two, and quite honestly, guys, if you look at the early season schedule, the Dallas Cowboys, they don't really need them the first three weeks. Uh, They could breeze past the Giants, Redskins, and Dolphins in those matches. Uh, before heading to New Orleans in week four. But, you know, even if I got 14 games of Zeke, he's worth a top five overall pick. Uh, I mean, he may have to overspend a little bit on Tony Pollard, but if I'm picking it four in my draft, I'm a riverboat gambler. I'm going to take the chance knowing the upside, knowing that Zeke is the heart and soul. He's in a, a vibrant fantasy environment, knowing that offensive line is going to be top 10. Uh, he's got some field stretchers there and Amari Cooper and Mike, Michael Gallup, who's been uh, all the story, all the rage in Dallas camp in the preseason thus far. So I'd be willing uh, to roll the dice on him at that point. At number five for me, believe it or not, guys, is Nick Chubb. I'm fully bought in on him. Number one in yards after contact per attempt last year. A guy that showed steady improvement as a receiver as well once he was the bell cow back uh, over the second half of the season. Absolute stud. You do have some concerns in that offensive line. Uh, but he saw, you know, a stack front right around 30% of the time last year. Hopefully, they'll lighten up with OBJ on roster. Still have Jarvis Landry there. Hollywood Higgins has had a nice camp. David Njoku hopefully got a hands transplant. will actually catch some balls uh, this season. And, of course, Baker Mayfield and his ascension. I mean, you pull it all together. Nick Chubb is going to get down and dirty. He's going to be straight up nasty, you know, over the first half of the season. No, I'm not worried about Kareem Hunt. I still think there's a decent chance Hunt gets traded before the uh, deadline, and he's just there merely as insurance. If he does come back, he's going to be a change of pace option because Chubb will es- establish his dominance again over those first eight games of the regular season with Hunt sidelined by suspension. All right, Sean, we talked about this some on the live show, but uh, your thoughts on Zeke? Yeah, it's, it's tough right now, but um, even I, I'm projecting him to miss a game and a half with the holdout, um, no real reason for that number. Just kind of assessing the risk right now. And he still comes in as my um, number four overall. So right now I think, you know, if I if I have the fourth pick, I'm still leaning Zeke. And I'm pretty risk adverse when it comes to the first couple rounds. So that should tell you something. But the, the first five picks should definitely be these running backs. And if anything, you know, the holdout just makes it pretty clear that you shouldn't be taking Zeke in the top three. Um, which I think, you know, if he were to announce today that um, he's doing a deal, you could at least consider him in the top three. So... I just think it's just to be um, sure, still get him at four or five this year. And um, if you have fifth pick, you kind of just take whichever back falls to you right there. Brad, talking about another back uh, who is holding out, Melvin Gordon, uh, you know, maybe two or three months ago, people would have made the argument for taking him in the second half of the first round. Uh, Now he's fallen down the draft board quite a bit. What are your thoughts on him? Oh, please come back to me, Melvin. Those are my thoughts. I'm heavily invested in him because I participated a lot of drafts early, took the chance, and uh, I played with fire, and I'm getting burned. I mean, it's hot in hell right now, uh, and I got a lot of sweat on my brow as a result of it. But 
Yeah, I mean, it's a dire straight situation for him. Um, you know, the divide between the two sides seems greater compared to Zeke and Jerry and Stephen Jones. Uh, Tom Telesco is not a guy who will budge. Uh, you know, that trench has been dug all the way to China. They're offering him fair money. Um, you know, $10 million a year. He was slated to make 5.6 this year. Uh, you know, he would be the third highest paid running back in the league if he would just take the damn money. And Melvin, quit listening to the people that are giving you bad advice and take the damn money because that's exactly what you're worth. You have no leverage. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, he's been making, uh, you know, overtures about, hey, Le'Veon Bell, you know, he, I, I, I appreciate what he did. Maybe he's going to follow that same line, though eventually he's going to have to report by week 10 to accrue that uh, season of free agency. So at this juncture, I mean, when can you take the plunge in, let's say, a 12-team draft? Uh, maybe round five or round six. Uh, I think that's when you start entertaining him if he's still there. Uh, if you're in an auction format, he's probably worth right around 18 to $22. Uh, but you're going to have to break out those fa- fuzzy handcuffs, whether it's for Austin Eckler or I would prefer Justin Jackson, who you're getting still right around ADP of 130. That's an insane value. I know Eckler's outsnapped him, but I think Jackson is going to be the primary goal line back within this Chargers offense. And let's be real. I mean, Austin Eckler looked very pedestrian when he got the full load in a couple of games last year. Yeah, it stinks. Uh, it's an unfortunate situation for fantasy owners, for uh, sports bettors out there, but for me, uh, again, I'd be willing to take the risk at five or six, uh, knowing that you can get some pretty good values at running back later. Again, one of those being Justin Jackson. Raybon, in our rankings within the Fantasy Football Draft Kit, you are the lowest out of the three of us on Melvin Gordon. Uh, can you talk about your thoughts on his, his situation when you think we actually might see him? Because that really is kind of the big question of how many games he's going to play this year. First of all, he already gets docked a tiny bit more than most backs for, for injury. Hasn't only played uh, one full season. So I kind of started out with a projection uh, somewhere in the mid-14s for games played. When he started holding out, started kind of lowering that gradually week by week. And now he's down to around um, nine and a half games played for me. So that's kind of my over-under uh, for him this season. And listen, I just don't – I'm just fading him. I really don't see the value in drafting him even in the fifth round because you're talking about, okay, let's say he gives you first-round value, right? What are you getting over the alternatives? Maybe, you know, five points per game better than what you would have gotten anyway. Well, you know, the downside is still he plays zero games. Within this whole situation, you know, you talk about Eckler, for example, looking pedestrian. I think Melvin Gordon has looked pedestrian uh, a lot of the time. It's just that that's a good situation in that Charger offense. But I think if he steps in, I don't know if we can necessarily even expect him to step into the same role that he had even last year with Justin Jackson emerging and and I think demanding a a greater workload. And Eckler's role, let's say Gordon comes back, I don't think Eckler's role is going anywhere as that kind of Danny Woodhead kind of back in that offense. So Gordon, even if he comes back, he'll come back to a lesser role. Uh, he's older. I think he's peaked already. Um, so yeah, I just don't think you're getting that much of a value um, from taking him anywhere, but your downside is zero. So that's kind of how I'm approaching it. I don't want anything to do with them. Um, and some of the teams that need running backs, I, I just don't know, like, you know, Houston, I just don't know if the cap situation is there to, to, to trade for Melvin Gordon to where um, he would really benefit from like changing teams. So yeah, just like, you know, let somebody else deal with it. That's my, that's my philosophy on it. 
I feel like this is a slightly different version of the Josh Gordon conversation we had last year where Raymond's like, there's a chance he plays no games. Like, I don't, I don't think that Melvin Gordon is going to play zero games. I think there's the very real chance that his plan right now is just to sit at home and then come back in week 10 uh, and play the bare minimum of games that he needs to in order to become a free agent next year. I think, and, I, and that's fair. Listen, I think that the one thing about us experts, quote unquote experts talking about it is we play hundreds of drafts, right? Yeah. And a lot of people out there listening to this are playing in one, maybe two, three drafts, right? And it's easy for us to say, hey, I'll kind of hedge my bets with Melvin Gordon or Josh Gordon, whoever these guys are. And like, I don't mind if I have a certain amount of exposure to him because I have, you know, you know, 90% of my team, he's not on them anyway. Right. But like, yeah, you, like, let's say it, we said this about three players last year, like, or, or let's say we said it about Josh Gordon and we said it about Le'Veon Bell, for example. There's a lot of people that took that advice on, on, on Le'Veon Bell and said, hey, we, we don't, you know, we think he's going to play or whatever. And they got screwed. And that's why I'm kind of, you know, conservative when it comes to these guys in these higher rounds, because I just think that there's still alternatives. It's not like, um, you know, if Melvin Gordon's there in the double digit rounds, it's a whole different story because you're not necessarily getting a, a guy that's, you know, has a chance to come back and automatically put up double digit fantasy points. But when you're still talking about guys in the fifth, sixth round, you're getting 16-game upside, 15-game upside. You know, most people don't play fantasy in week 17, but you're getting 15-game upside, whereas if not, you're, you're, taking, you're, you're using a pick on a guy who's capping your ceiling for that pick, and you also have to replace that guy for the whatever X amount of weeks that he's out. So you're also kind of capping your ceiling for those picks. And it's just like there's a, there's a kind of a cumulative effect. It's not just in a vacuum of, okay, I have this guy now is on my bench as an RB3, and boom, I'm just like exploding once he comes back. Like there's, it affects your roster um, in a number of other ways. So, so that's why I, I'm kind of conservative when it comes to these guys and these missed game projections. All right, transitioning from running back to wide receiver, Brad, you mentioned uh, that in your top five, you have all running backs. Where is it that you would start to think about wide receiver and who is it that you are looking to draft first at the position? Yeah, I mean, I think at that number six overall uh, point, maybe seven, I mean, for me, it's DeAndre Hopkins, who I think is still the creme de la creme of the position. I understand the concerns offensively along the front line for the Houston Texans, but assuming that Deshaun Watson can stay healthy, he's got the best hands of the league, he's going to see voluminous work, uh, and he just catches everything in sight. I mean, he's a steady Eddie. It's going to get you a 68 reception seemingly every single game with close to 100 yards on average and the occasional touchdown. I mean, you can make an argument for Devontae Adams, um, I've been in a spot where I've been painted a corner at number nine uh, in so many mock and real drafts. And I've been going wide receiver and wide receiver typically in those first two picks. And Adams is a guy that I target at that point. I think uh, he is going to lead all NFL wide receivers in touchdowns this year. Uh, he's 10 to one to do that, by the way, at the uh, FanDuel uh, Sportsbook in Jersey. So that's a sound wager to make if you uh, you can still get that kind of value on him. But it's all about safety at wide receiver. And, and if you want to zig while others zag and try to invest in some of those high-end luxury running backs, it's, it's a sage strategy. I mean, you look historically, the bus rate since 2009 of RB1s is right around 45%. Meanwhile, the bus rate for wide receiver ones during that same duration is 36.7%. So typically you have safe floors uh, with a lot of those wide outs out there so yeah again middle portion around one if you're like eh I'm kind of lukewarm on Le'Veon Bell DeAndre's there Devontae Adams is there maybe a Julio Jones I think you take the plunge at wide receiver and then maybe get a Dalvin Cook on the comeback in round two to diversify or maybe even an OBJ if he's still there sipping pina coladas in the free agent pool at that juncture in the draft. 
All right, Sean, uh, your thoughts on wide receivers. Are they similar? Is uh, number six around uh, where you start to take your wide receiver? Yeah, I would say number six, if, if the top five running backs are off the board, that's when I would um, take a receiver. And, you know, every week I have Hopkins and Adams kind of rotate. And this week, Hopkins is my number one receiver. Again, it's not something that I've been spending all summer sweating about. I think if I had 100 drafts, I would take Hopkins about 51 times there and Adams 49. So when it comes to just my projections, I have at, uh, Hopkins with about 100 more yards um, than Adams. I have them both the same uh, receptions. And then I have Adams with 1.5 more touchdowns. So it seems like Hopkins um, more of the higher floor play because yards are more predictable. Where Adams, you know, it's kind of dependent on his touchdown production. Um, so he'll have a little bit wider range of outcomes. So I do like Hopkins as sort of the safer play over Adams. But, you know, I'll take either one at six if I have to. Raybon, for you, is it a pretty big teardrop after Hopkins and Adams to whoever it is that you have at wide receiver three? It's not a huge teardrop. Uh, you know, I think it's kind of what Sean said, where uh, you shouldn't be sweating these early round picks. I mean, Julio Jones, I think you could make a case to take him even number one. Odell Beckham, same thing. It just comes down to, to your Tyreek Hill, another guy. So uh, I don't really sweat them. I think, you know, I do have Hopkins and, and Adams pretty much equal. Um, I don't think there's much separation between them. I, but I think that for me, it's, I would start taking, I would start taking a look at a wide receiver after my top four running backs and that number four would be David Johnson, not Ezekiel Elliott, because again, it just comes down to the fact that there's still a chance that you're you're just not getting that that 15 game ceiling with Ezekiel Elliott, and I think it's egregious that people are kind of like questioning David Johnson, you know, as that next guy up in, in that in those running back tiers, because. If you look at, you know, Arizona ran 56.4 plays last year. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury wants them to be at the top of the league, which means they would be, you know, at, at that 68 to 70 range. And that's where they were at uh, 2016. David Johnson had the same amount of touch share in 2018 and 2016, right around 34%. If he gets that again, you know, 2016, he posted a top five fantasy season of the past half decade at, at running back. So uh, I think he's right there in that mix. Um, in last year, we just kind of saw what the floor could be when you're in a horrible, horrible offense. And I think it's going to be a lot different this year. And he has that upside to finish as the number one overall back. And he could actually do it quite easily if he gets a, a similar workload to what he's been getting. And, and Arizona really does go as fast as, uh, as they want to. All right, this is classic. I asked Raybon a question about wide receivers, and he ended up turning it into an answer about <laughs> backs. We are in midseason form. Brad, uh, one of the biggest questions I think that people have is what to do at tight end, and specifically, do you take the plunge on a top three tight end, or do you wait at the position and hope that you hit gold with someone later in the draft how important do you think it is to get one of these top three guys I don't think it's vital I don't think it's that important uh, I know there are a lot of people out there that uh, are toying with the idea of taking Travis Kelsey the back half of round one I find that to be pure insanity good as Kelsey is I think you really pigeonhole yourself uh, at other positions when you give up that kind of draft equity to focus on a you know a tight end it's it's right up there really with like Patrick Mahomes and drafting him early on and you know one of the first second or third picks of your draft uh you know I understand the argument uh for the other guys there with Kittle and Ertz they have extremely high floors but for me there's great value in that next tier of tight ends with Evan Ingram and OJ Howard and uh Hunter Henry uh, I'd really focus on OJ Howard I just love the setup in Tampa Bay they're down 20 to nothing in every game imaginable I think that defense is going to be the dregs of the keg uh, in the NFL this season. And Howard is a guy that has immense talent, uh, number one last year in yards per target 
at the position. It's just a matter of him getting the target share and staying healthy. And I think this is going to be the year under the Kangol hat and Bruce Arians where it's all going to come together and it's going to be beautiful music between him and Jameis Winston. So that's where I focus. Uh, if you even want to wait a little bit later at Austin Hooper's that a bad pickup. Eric Ebron still, even with the change of quarterback, uh, is no slouch. Uh, even a guy like Mark Andrews, who has been one of the surprise sensations of the, uh, not necessarily the preseason, but in practice, who's made a lot of noise and already has an established chemistry with Lamar Jackson. I mean, you're getting him at like 120, 125 overall. I always just wait. Just pump the brakes on it. Let somebody else make the mistake of going after one of the big three while you're focusing on grabbing the best running back or wide receiver off the board. Brad mentioned uh, Mark Andrews, and I had to just take a moment to catch my breath. Uh, Corner, can you make the pro argument for why it is not a horrible idea for someone to draft one of these top three tight ends? Yeah, I don't think it's a horrible idea. I think it does have to kind of fit in your draft plan. Um, I think if Kelsey falls around two, you have to get him. Um, so, and then I think Kittle and Ertz, you typically want to wait until mid to late round three um, to get them. So I think if you have one of the first four picks um, in the draft, you're probably not going to be in a position to get one of these tight ends, which I think this year is fine. Um, uh, one of the things we talked about yesterday was, you know, these, these tight ends are so valuable that your team's pretty fragile. If one of them gets hurt, uh, you're screwed because you're going to have to start tapping in the, uh, the waiver wire for tight end. It's going to be pretty brutal this year. I think one of the things I do like better this year than last year I remember last year I was saying you have to get a top three tight end was because the next tier was the AARP tier of Greg Olson Jimmy Graham and Delaney Walker which I just hated but now we have OJ Howard Evan Ingram Hunter Henry I think all those guys have massive potential and I've been getting Austin Hooper pretty late so um, this year I think there's just more options if you happen to miss out on the top three but having said that if 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 Kelsey falls you in round two, I think you got to get him. And then Kittle and Ertz, if they fall to you at the, round of, at the end of round three, I think you got to get him. All right, Raybon, uh, any thoughts here on tight ends and what you're going to be doing? Yeah, I think – yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of with, with Sean. I don't, I don't think it's a bad idea at all to get one of those top three guys because if you look at Kelsey, for example, 103 catches last year, 1,336 yards, 10 touchdowns. He's in the top ten in all receiving categories. So you're just getting a great pass catcher who there is a, not a non-zero chance that this guy can lead the league in catches or yards or, touch, or receiving touchdowns. So I don't look at it as kind of in a vacuum of tight end. I just look at it as I'm getting a, a great uh, pass catcher here. And if I have to make that up now at wide receiver versus tight end, I feel fine with that because at the end of the day, there are more wide receivers that can put up um, that can kind of replace those numbers later on. So if my wide receiver three, um, for example, can put up better tight end numbers than, than, than a guy like a, uh, you know, a OJ Howard or Evan Ingram. So I, I don't think it's a bad idea at all to get one of these top guys at tight end. That being said, I, I think there is value throughout the draft. I, I think you just want to kind of make sure you secure your tight end by the time that Austin Hooper is off the board. Like if I'm in a 12-team league and, and Austin Hooper's off the board, now it's like, where do I go? You know, do I, you know, do I go to a Dwayne Walker? Do I go to an Andrews? Do, that that, that um, kind of question is not one that I want to be having to answer with my tight end one. So I think Hooper is the last guy. I think if you miss out on a top three guy, you just wait till the value falls to you. I like every single guy, if you can get him at ADP or, be, or beyond it um, in, terms of, in terms of the rest of those tight ends through Austin Hooper, and then it just kind of falls off a, a cliff for me. 
Football season is coming up quick in DraftKings. The leader in one-day fantasy football is celebrating with huge week one contests. It all starts when Chicago and Green Bay kick off the season with a Thursday night single-game showdown contest and $2.5 million in total prizes up for grabs. New users who sign up today on DraftKings using the code NFLPOD will receive a free shot at the $1 million top prize. Nothing adds to the excitement of watching the game quite like having a shot at a million-dollar payday. Draft your single-game showdown lineup and fill the wet like never before. It's simple. Just draft six players from the season opener, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. But you don't have to wait till week one to get in on the action. Right now, all users can get a deposit bonus of up to $500. Download the DraftKings app now to get in on the action. For a limited time, both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus of up to $500. And as an extra special week one bonus, new users can put in the code NFLPOD to receive a to receive a free shot at $1 million with your first deposit. Don't forget the code NFLPOD for your free shot at $1 million. Only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25x playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Okay, Brad, I want to ask you about your most invested players. So either those are like maybe the, the guys emotionally that you're most invested in or uh, in terms of your rankings or uh, in terms of your actual drafts, the players you have the most of on your team uh, at each position, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. Who are the guys that you are really invested in for 2019? Well, you can read about it on Yahoo Sports. I released my old man crush team uh, for 2019 uh, last week. So a quarterback, it's Kyler Murray for me. Uh, a guy that I consistently have gotten well after pick 100 in a lot of drafts. His, you know, his draft stock has fluctuated quite a bit uh, this entire preseason. You know, it was up after preseason game one. Then uh, all the pressure that he folded and crumbled under in week two against the Raiders, it crashed. And it's kind of up again now after the game and performance in Minnesota. I understand that he hasn't thrown a touchdown pass a preseason, but who cares? Uh, they're still vanilla. They're not really scheming. They're not really showing their hand. Uh, I don't think a single card in the hand of Cliff Kingsbury has been played yet. I think it's going to be fireworks. I think it's going to be 4th of July level against the Lions at home week one. Uh, I love the scoring duality with him. The guy didn't get it done with his arm. One of the most accurate quarterbacks in college football last year. Some small school in Norman called Oklahoma. Uh, and, of course, he raises the floor with his legs. Uh, guy's got jackrabbit wheels. They can get anywhere between 600, 700 yards on the ground. Oh, and, yeah, this defense sucks royally, especially with Patrick Peterson out the first six games and Robert Alford, the other starter in that defensive backfield, out indefinitely with a leg injury. So, I mean, it's really a perfect storm that's gathered there in the Sonoran Desert uh, Haboob level. Uh, type of storm. So I, I love Kyler Murray at running back. It's Dave Montgomery. Uh, everybody that follows me on Twitter at Yahoo Noise knows I have a mandatory Montgomery update pretty much every single day. Uh, I've been stoking the fires of the hype machine uh, constantly this offseason. He's got the shimmy, the shake, over 100 missed tackles in consecutive seasons. The only running back to do that over the last five years in the pro football focus area, and he did it behind a pair of questionable offensive lines at Iowa State. The Bears, meanwhile, have a top-10 line. They've got elite defense, positive game strips. No, I'm not worried about Cohen, who's going to be shifted about as a gadget back. Uh, no, I'm not worried about Mike Davis, who's more or less an insurance policy. Maybe he gets like three to five touches per game. Monty is going to be the man in Chicago. Shades of Matt Forte revisited. Uh, so I'm fully invested in him. At wide receiver, uh, you guys brought up his name. I can't quit him. It's Josh Gordon. 
uh, if he can stay on the straight and narrow, and that is a gigantic, enormous uh, empire state building sized if he's a guy that, uh, you know, he's got a clear path to targets. You got Julian Edelman there is going to see, you know, maybe upwards of 150 to 170 targets, but Gordon is going to be the main man outside. He knows the offense. He was wide receiver 23 in nine games last season with New England in which he played at least 78% of the snaps. Uh, I, I think he's got the trust of TB12. He averaged 11 target or yards per target last year. I mean, you just it's a culmination of awesomeness, uh, really, that's gathering for him. So I think there's 71,070 touchdown appeal. So I'm fully invested. I'm glad I got double-digit round shares of him before the suspension was lifted. And then a tight end for me, I just really hate the position, but I'll go back to O.J. Howard who uh, has been one of my prime targets in round five, round six of 12-team drafts. Like I said, the sky's the limit. He's got the skill set. I understand he got Chris Godwin, everybody's on board with. I love him too. Uh, I got a lot of shares of him. Uh, I understand Mike Evans is there, but this team is going to throw early and often and chase the scoreboard. And then Coward's one of those guys who's got to deliver steady 70-plus yard, occasional touchdown results throughout the entire year. So there you go. Uh, there's my handbook this season. And yes, every single one of the guys I just mentioned is entirely cursed. I think Brad and I are something of uh, fantasy soulmates because this list <laughs> is pretty much in line with uh, the, the way that I'm thinking. Kyler Murray, very much uh, on the list for me of players I'm invested in. I mean, really what you mentioned, David Montgomery, Josh, Josh Gordon, OJ Howard, those are all guys I'm really into. I'd also say Will Fuller and uh, obviously Mark Andrews is someone I just can't get enough of. Chris, who are the the players that you are really invested in this season? Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think we, I think we guys, uh, most of the listeners know where we stand on, on Kyler. So, um, but Kyler at quarterback, Jared Goff is another quarterback. I'm heavily invested. In. I just think everywhere he goes with the football, it, there's a lot of good things that can happen. Mitch Trubisky is kind of, and Dak Prescott is kind of those fringe QB one types. Uh, I'm heavily invested in those guys as well. At running back, Chris Carson. I, I mean, I, I've been saying this all off season. Like Carson is the guy. They love him. Rashad Penny, he'll slide into that Mike Davis role. If something happens to Carson, yes, Rashad Penny now is in that RB1 conversation. But I think this is going to be the Chris Carson show. I think he's a better player in every facet than Rashad Penny. Um, and I think the organization in Seattle, in terms of the coaching staff, feels the exact same way. So I'm all in on him. Leonard Fournette is a guy that I have more of than probably most. I think that he's going to be a centerpiece of that offense in better shape. I'm going to catch more footballs this year. They got John Filippo, who's a little more balanced on offense. I think, I think Fournette um, could have a blow-up year. Josh Jacobs is a guy. Kalen Bellage, um, I've been drafting him since the offseason. Darwin Thompson, another one uh, heavily invested in, and Tony Pollard of the Cowboys. Guys that I think could, um, you know, kind of be in great situations to have standalone value, um, but, but also really blow up uh, if something happened uh, to, you know, the guy in front of them. Wide receiver, Christian Kirk, uh, of the Arizona Cardinals entering his second year. I don't think we realize how well he did last year with, with uh, two quarterbacks in Bradford and Rosen who combined to post a, uh, one of the five worst passer ratings of the past half decade for the Cardinals. Uh, Christian Kirk had an amazing season, so really high on him. Friedman, as you mentioned, Will Fuller, uh, a guy that I think is going underrated. Sammy Watkins as well, kind of these uh, kind of – uh, pieces that you, you don't think of on these high-powered offenses, kind of the, the, the second, third, fourth options in, the, in those spots, I think, offer uh, a lot of value. Allen Robinson as well, a guy I think entering age 26 season. That's when wide receivers usually peak, another year removed from that ACL. Uh, I think he has a lot of upside that we're kind of 
uh, sleeping on there. And then a tight end, uh, I kind of mentioned it. I, I like the value through Austin Hooper. So it's kind of been a balanced approach for me, depending on what uh, draft slot I'm going in. But I will say that I am a little bit higher than most on David Njoku, who uh, I feel has some of that Eric Ebron sleeper appeal where he could have a, a double-digit touchdown season just because of um, you know the, the scheme there. Freddie Kitchens, former tight end guy, uh, tight ends coach, um, you know, seen a lot of good things out of Todd Munkin when it comes to tight ends um, and, and touchdowns and just you have to cover Beckham and Landry and you have to worry about Chubb and all these guys so uh, I think Njoku is a guy that I'm high in, in that in that tier below the top three uh, Evan Ingram is a guy I, I love Howard as well so uh, Howard but Evan Ingram you know he averaged over four catches a game last year and you know the Giants you know without Beckham now Golden Tate going to miss four games uh, the way they use Ingram, he gets extremely high percentage targets. I believe his average reception last year was, uh, you know, about four yards beyond the line of scrimmage or so. So um, this is a guy that gets a lot of targets. They almost use him like a, a running back uh, out of that backfield. Does a lot after the catch. Um, he could rack up, uh, you know, catches in a hurry and has a shot at putting up, you know, numbers that you would equate with, with like a wide receiver two or something. So uh, I like Ingram in that, in that tier after the top three. All right, Sean, what about you, the players you are invested in for this season? So for me at, at QB, I think uh, Jameis Winston and Dak Prescott are probably the two quarterbacks I'm most invested in just because they're, they're typically going when I want to uh, attack quarterbacks or, you know, rounds 10 through 12. Um, they're, they're ranked outside of the top 15 ADP for some reason. Um, but I think both can have, you know, QB1 upside. I think they'll, per they'll have steady week-to-week -week, uh, high floors. Um, maybe Winston didn't last year, but I think it'll change this year with uh, Dirk Cutter gone and Ryan Fitzpatrick on the Dolphins. Um, I, I think the threat of in-game benching is a little bit lower this year, so I, I'm putting a lot of trust in Winston, so I'm heavily invested in him this year. Um, and then at running back, uh, Chris Carson, earlier in the offseason, I was, I was sort of getting him in round five in almost every draft. Um, again, he's a guy that sort of fits into my overall draft plan of sort of attacking wide receiver early on and then attacking running back in rounds three through five. His stock's been shooting up considerably lately because I think people are catching on that um, Rashad Penny's going to be more of a change of pace back. Mike Davis being gone is a huge boost to Chris Carson. I think we're realizing that Brian Schottenheimer was saying he expects to give uh, Carson 50 targets this year, which is double what he had last year. And I think he's still going to be heavily used near the goal line. You know, last year he was fifth in the league with 28 carries inside the 10-yard line. The only backs that had more were Todd Gurley, Alvin Kamara, uh, Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey so that's great company to be in so I think he he has RB1 upside and people don't give enough credit um, for being on such a run heavy team as well and then um, Latavius Murray I talk to him all the time but I just think he has that perfect blend of you know a pretty high floor I think he will inherit a lot of the Mark Ingram role um, even if he doesn't, going at uh, RB35 is just a crime right now. I think Mark Ingram was going way higher than that last year when he was even suspended four games. So I'm not really sure why the market's underrating Murray so much. But again, if Alvin Kamara were to ever miss time, Murray would be a low-end RB1 in my weekly model. So I, I just love having that built-in upside for a guy that should give you flex value, um, even when Kamara's healthy. Uh, and then a wide receiver. Um, you know, I'm loading up on my wide receiver early in the draft, so uh, my exposure really dependent on sort of my draft order. Um, but later in the draft where it opens up, I think D.D. Westbrook is the guy I've been targeting the most. Usually I have either three receivers uh, locked in, so, um, you know, D.D.'s more of my flex guy or the first receiver on my bench. 
but I think he has a ton of upside this year. Um, he gets to play with veteran quarterback like Nick Foles now. They have a pass-happy offensive coordinator, John DiFilippo. You know, it was great to see in the, the third uh, preseason game, the dress rehearsal, he played 14 snaps. Foles targeted him six times. He got uh, four receptions and scored a nice little 10-yard touchdown. So it's always good to see him um, in preseason when, you know, guys I'm heavily invested in um, have the needle pointing up. And then, at, you know, tight end, Raybon's mentioned it. I really do think Austin Hooper is sort of the last tight end um, that I'm willing to draft. So I, I have him ranked uh, tight end eight right now, and he's usually being drafted outside of the top ten. So he's he's just been a guy, if I miss out on the top three early on, I have no problem waiting uh, to the end of the draft and take Hooper. Um, you know, Dirk Cutter's always gotten the most out of his tight end, and I, I think that Hooper could have a year four breakout. His career touchdown rate of 7.2 um, is pretty low for a guy with his skill set on a, a high-scoring offense like the Falcons. So I think that's where he'll be able to have his breakout is, um, you know, if he scores eight or more touchdowns this year, I think he's going to be a steal at the later later rounds of this, this year's draft. Sean, I am with you on DD. I believe I have him at wide receiver 23 in the, wow. in the fantasy football game. <laughs> nice. Man. That's, All right. Yeah, he's, he's a guy where I'm, I'm uh, planting the flag. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic on him this year. Uh, Brad. The players you are staying away from, who are the guys you just want absolutely no part of this year? Well, let's start a quarterback. For me, I cannot invest the equity that is asked for a Patrick Mahomes. Uh, you look at a lot of the lines, according to, uh, you know, Sin City or Jersey, on passing touchdowns for Mahomes in the follow-up from the 50 TD campaign, and they're usually set at 37.5, 36.5. I've seen as low as 35.5. So regression is going to happen. He's dynamite. He's spectacular. I'm not crapping on the player by any stretch of the imagination or a situation. I just cannot mentally get over the hurdle of sinking a third-round pick or a second-round pick or some sickos out there, a late first-rounder, in his services no one can get an Aaron Rodgers or a Deshaun Watson or a Baker Mayfield some, you know, 40, 50, 60 picks later. So that's one guy that I'm fading this year just based on his average draft position. Running back, it's Todd Gurley. Why? He's got an arthritic knee for crying out loud. And I've said this time in and time again. Uh, I understand that, uh, you know, Sean McVay is putting out there, well, we clocked him at 21 miles an hour when he's running a straight line. In practice, he looks great. He looks like vintage Todd Gurley. It's all hogwash. Because they're trying to get Daryl Henderson more work. Uh, our own Charles Robinson, who was at Rams camp about two and a half weeks ago, reported straight from the horse's mouth and McVay and the coaching staff that they were hoping, again, they were hoping to get Todd Gurley on the field for 65% of the snaps. That doesn't guarantee, even when he's on the field, for 65% of the snaps, he's going to touch the rock. So I, I think Henderson's going to be involved heavily. They're going to use more two running back formations, which McVay has said publicly. Uh, Malcolm Brown's going to be sprinkled in, and that thing could balloon. It could flare up. It could swell up on him at any time. There's just too much risk, despite the great situation, to invest in him in round two. So I am fading him in hard. At wide receiver, it's Calvin Ridley. Uh, you know, it, again, it's not a knock on the player. I like the player. It's, a, it's more of a derision of sustainability. And it, I am, you know, pointing at what he accomplished last season on a minimal target share. It was right around 15.3% scoring the 10 touchdowns. Matt Ryan's uh, passer rating was like 124 when targeting Ridley. He's got competition there for touches and terms and targets from Julio Jones, Muhammad Sanu, Austin Hooper. I think he just takes a step back. It's, you know, maybe like seven touchdowns. And if he shaves those, uh, shaves those three off, it's not worth where you're getting him now at like wide receiver 23, wide receiver 24. I'm just not sure he's going to deliver a profit at his average draft position. And tied in for me, 
Uh, it's just a big three in general. As I mentioned before, Kelsey, uh, Kittle, Urch, you can make an argument for taking them at their respective price points currently. But for me, again, I'm just focusing on the next batch of tight ends who I think are better values. And I think one or two of those guys, whether it's Henry, whether it's Ingram, whether it's Howard, is going to leapfrog one of the big three, and we're going to be talking about them maybe as round three picks next year. Rayvon, who are the guys you're looking to stay away from? So at quarterback, for me, it's Aaron Rodgers. Luck was on that list as well. Drew Brees. I just think some of these household names, people are getting way too comfortable with those guys over the guys that they really should be taking. Um, there are guys like Baker Mayfield, a guy I forgot to mention, heavily invested in. Um, I, you know, Rodgers, 7.4 West yard per attempt for four or five years now. They want him to get the ball out faster. That didn't exactly go well. Uh, for Marcus Mariota, I, I don't know if it goes well for Aaron Rodgers or, or if he even changes the way he plays. Um, and he's highly dependent on, on Devontae Adams for his touchdowns. So uh, I think that's kind of a dangerous situation. He's also been known to be injury prone, so I, I don't like it there. Uh, at, at, and, and then just any quarterback going, I think, um, you know, above ADP, uh, especially before the double-digit rounds, whether that be a Matt Ryan or, or, you know, sometimes it's a Russell Wilson, sometimes it's Breeze. But, you know, I, I just think you have to wait. I want, I want everyone else in my league to have drafted a quarterback almost all of the time before I am uh, diving in at that position. Uh, running back. For me, uh, still Darius Geis. I think he's just being drafted too high for, for being in a committee. He's being drafted like he's going to be the clear leader uh, of that backfield when I think, you know, the fact that Adrian Peterson was given the night off in that third preseason game um, shows you a lot. You know, Geis did get a lot of work, looked pretty solid, but um, they've said that they want this to be a 50-50 split, 60-40 at the least. Um, and in my coaching tendencies article, um, I kind of talked about how, you know, it's, it, there's not a lot of upside there when you kind of factor in even a, 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 an optimistic scenario for Geis's, uh share of, the, of that backfield. Uh, at wide receiver, uh, you know, there's – I think the, the, the value at wide receiver is kind of – you know, you can kind of go up and down that list and not really have to, uh, you know, say, oh, this is a guy I'm clearly, clearly – uh, staying away from. I think the one guy for me is AJ Green. I think people are taking him way too. I think it's another one of those Melvin Gordon situations where people are like, oh, you just have this like ace in the hole on the bench. But in reality, you're giving up, you know, 15 game upside at a point in the draft where you can still get comparable players that, that you know, you know, given variance and all that, whatnot. Uh, I think you can get a, an AJ Green type season out of. I think this guy is kind of slowing down a little bit. And it's not like he's starting in week one where you can say, oh, he's going to put up the same numbers as he did even last year because now he's starting. He's already unhealthy. He's starting in a new offense um, without much time to kind of get, get on the same page with, with Andy Dalton and some of those guys. So it could be a slower start than usual. So I don't think he's really worth a pick. Um, I have him as my wide receiver 45. I think that's where he should go. I think, I think um, people are taking him too high. And uh, at tight end, I really, I just think, I, I think it's anyone outside of, of the top, you know, 11 after that Hooper pick, I think it's, 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 it kind of gets, it kind of gets cloudy from, I don't really want much to do with any of those guys as my TE one. So I'm kind of um, really focused on getting guys um, b before Hooper's gone. Rayvon, I hear you, but uh, Mark Andrews is offended by what you just said. Just going <laughs> to let you know that uh, corner. Who do you have here as the players you are staying away from? Um, so for me, it's, it's mostly all based on ADP and just my overall draft plan. But at quarterback, uh, Drew Brees at QB7 um, is nuts. I would never take him that early. I think, you know, it's obviously just based on namesake. But, you know, the Saints don't need him to throw for 5,000 yards anymore. They, they have a much stronger defense. 
So his weekly floor is actually a lot lower than people realize. He had seven games last year where he threw less than 220 yards. Um, he's too much of a hot, cold quarterback for me. I don't want that volatility, especially if I'm taking him early. You're kind of – you want a guys like Matt Ryan or Baker Mayfield um, in that range that are going to give you solid QB1 numbers uh, most weeks. And just Breeze has that – his floor is way too low to be taking that early. Um, and then at running back, uh, Damian Williams, although it's getting scarier – um, saying that after his um, great game the other day. Uh, but I still think that, you know, at the end of round two, um, he just doesn't fit in my draft plan. That's You, you typically already have one of the top five um, running backs, so you're going to have to take him, you know, either at the round, end of round two or early round three. And I just think that's it's critical to take two receivers there. So he's, he just doesn't fit my draft plan. I still think he has one of the lower floors um, in the running backs in that range. Um, and then at – Wide receiver, um, Raybon mentioned it. It's it's really hard to like pick one wide receiver and say you're fading them, but I think um, Corey Davis, just where he's going, doesn't make sense to me. I think in that range, you kind of want a guy with a, a ton of upside. And I know athletically he does. He's one of the most talented young receivers, but just that offense, you know, you have a bunch of pass catchers that are splitting 200 passing yards a game. It's not really not really a passing offense I want to invest in. So I think he's he's sort of a, you know, a lower ceiling, lower floor kind of guy. And I think in that range, you just, you might as well invest in guys like Mike Williams, Robbie Anderson, D.D. Westbrook, Christian Kirk, just take some chances in that range. Um, I, I think just settling for Corey Davis um, in that range is something that I'm not, that, that's not part of my draft plan. So I guess he's a guy I'm getting almost no shares of because of it. Uh, and then at tight end, Jared Cook, um, simply because I have um, Austin Hooper ranked above him, and he goes way later. So Cook's just a guy I'm not reaching for. Again, I mentioned the Saints passing offense is going to be um, very high ceiling, low floor already, and Jared Cook has sort of been the um, the premier high ceiling, low floor tight end. So I think this year just going to be amplified. So I think we're going to see some, we're going to see some great games out of Jared Cook, and we're going to see a lot of duds. So um, I'm passing up on him um, in hopes of just getting Austin Hooper a little bit later, uh, who I've ranked higher than him. All right. This has been a beefy episode, Brad. I have two more questions for you. Uh, if you end up being incredibly wrong about a player, who do you think that is going to be? And then who is the one player you are most convinced will be a league winner this year? Oh, well, the league winner is obvious. It's David Montgomery. You know, I'm the CEO of Team Ramos and the Dave Montgomery Fan Club. So, uh, and it really, it, it answers both questions, <laughs> like, right? Because there are a possible range of outcomes for Montgomery. Uh, I'm, I'm convinced in my own demented brain uh, that Matt Nagy is going to run him early and often, and he's going to get at least 17 touches and 100 plus yards and a score on the opening night of the NFL season against the Green Bay Packers. But I could be terribly, horribly wrong. Um, so, really, it, Montgomery applies to both. Like, I'm going to have egg on my face if he doesn't live up to the hype, but if he does, he's definitely going to be a league winner. All right, Brad, what sports content should people check out at Yahoo? Well, we got all kinds of stuff. We got our fantasy football draft kit. Uh, go to sports.yahoo.com slash fantasy. It's free. We got printable and downloadable PDF versions of our cheat sheets that we're uh, updating constantly. So if you got drafts uh, heading uh, up until and through the Labor Day weekend, we got you uh, taken care of there. Just a plethora of content from my extraordinary colleagues and Andy Barons and Scott Pianowski, the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. You want to subscribe to that as well. And of course, Fantasy Football Live. We're coming back. I think it's like season four believe it or not, uh, starting September 8th on yahoosports.com at 11.30 a.m. Eastern, 8.30 a.m. Pacific time. 
And yes, my Cal Ripken streak of shows continues. Will it last this year? You want to tune in and find out. All right, be sure to check out all that content and follow Brad on Twitter at Yahoo Noise. You can follow Sean, Chris, and me in the Action Network app at the underscore oddsmaker, Chris Raybon, and Matt at the Oracle. Use the app to get real-time odds and track your bets for free. That is going to do it for this episode of the Action Network podcast. Please subscribe to and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. See you again next episode.